0: starting brand new series today in Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is a book in the Bible that not a lot of people read. It's in the Old Testament. It's a book that uh, deals with Uh, really struggles and dissatisfaction and frustration. So if you're somebody in your life that feels that you struggle or that you've suffered or maybe you're just kind of frustrated with the way that things are going or you're dissatisfied, I mean, that can be all sorts of different things if we think about it. It can be maybe you've started a new relationship or you've had a relationship for a while and at first it was, man, this is exciting and they love me and I love them and it's awesome, but... Then over time, it started to feel, man, this isn't really doing it for me anymore. Not necessarily that you want to cut it off, although maybe that has happened, but it just feels, uh, it's, just, it's not fulfilling me as I thought it would. And that can be with Denver. A lot of people move to Denver. Denver's a great, awesome city. It's a, it's a place that people love to move to from all over the country. And we come here a lot of times because we're like, man, Denver, it's what's going to make my life great. It's what's going to make my life Awesome. And we come here, and then sometimes what happens is we feel, man, it's not quite doing it for me. And there might be some frustration or dissatisfaction, struggle that happens. Or maybe it's just life in general. It's not going the way that you wanted it to go or the way that you thought it would go or work or whatever it might be. Maybe it's this. Maybe you look around, and I know several people like this. You, you kind of look around life, and you just feel life is kind of shallow, Maybe you look at some of your relationships and you're like, yeah, it's kind of fun, but it's kind of shallow. Maybe you feel even that way about church. Yeah, church is fine, but it's kind of shallow. And people I talk with, yeah, it's fine, but it's kind of shallow. And you just kind of maybe have a cynicism about life and just, man, things just are kind of lame. Everything is just a a game. Everything is just someone, everybody has an angle and just kind of feel that. And so you're dissatisfied or frustrated or struggle in Life And Ecclesiastes is a book that's written for people that are disappointed, that are struggling, that are frustrated, that are bored with life. It's a, it's a book that's very honest about life. It's a book that allows us to really wrestle with questions and frustrations that we have, which oftentimes isn't something that we feel we can do uh, at all, but especially in Church and the author of Ecclesiastes. Uh, some think it's Solomon, who is one of the great uh, kings of Israel, and others think it was someone that wrote the book in kind of a Solomon's tradition. And who, whoever it was, he he's a guy that writes the book to say to say this: It's okay. You can ask. You can explore those frustrations and those dissatisfactions and those struggles that you have. You can explore those things. I love this book. I have not studied this book a lot until recently. I had a friend in college who was a very cynical person, and he loved it. And I was like, of course you love it. But now that I've read it, I love it. It's great because it does this. It says if you've got struggle and frustration and dissatisfaction, you can explore that. You can be honest about that. One of the values we actually have as a church is that questions are good, that it's okay and it's good to ask questions, and Ecclesiastes is a book that says you can be honest about the dissatisfaction and doubts you have in life. One Bible commentator said this. He said, Ecclesiastes is the book of the Bible, the only book in the Bible that would be considered to have been written on a Monday morning. And so it's a, it's a great book because of that. If you feel like you live on Monday morning, then you will like this book. Herman Melville, who is uh, the author of Moby Dick, I didn't know that if you didn't know that, but he, he said it's the truest of all books The truest of all books. Because it allows us to explore the things that we struggle with, that we frustrate, that we're frustrated by. So if you're someone that is a Christian, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, you've maybe grown up in church, and and you know a lot about life and the Bible, and all of that kind of stuff, but you still struggle and you still have frustration, this is a book for you. And if you're somebody that maybe isn't sure what you believe yet, and you're still trying to explore that, and still trying to decide, and maybe one of the things that actually turns you off about Christianity or church as it seems kind of plastic or fake, man, you're going to love Ecclesiastes as we follow this teacher's guide at walking us through exploring all sorts of things in life. So Ecclesiastes is a book that talks about something more than the frustration, than the struggle, than the dissatisfaction, than all of that that we wrestle with. Is there something more than all of this? And, and he opens the book... The the teacher, the preacher, he he opens the book, he opens the book identifying with that struggle that many of us feel in life and dissatisfaction. He identifies with it and he's going to actually pinpoint what it is that is underneath all of that. And so here's just the very beginning of the book. He says this, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's his opening, right? Not very uh, Christian sounding. Probably none of you, this is your life verse, or have that written on a coffee mug or a t-shirt. Um, you've never seen like a, you know, someone, you know, a lot of people have verses in their, in their house and stuff like that on nice paintings. Nobody has this. It just says, all is vanity. The Bible, right? That, nobody has that. This is why this is a book that's not often read, because we sometimes don't know what to do. And, and the word vanity there, it can mean like a mist or a fog or meaningless. Some translations will say that it, he starts the book saying this, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Welcome to church, right? That's like, that's not what I thought I was going to get. The radio station says uplifting and encouraging, and this guy says meaningless, meaningless. <laughs> So he's not a DJ on that radio station, but he's gonna, he, here's what he does. He, he pinpoints the problem that we feel. He pinpoints the pain that we feel, the struggle and the dissatisfaction that we can feel that there is no meaning, that stuff is just kind of vanity. It's a mist. It's worthless. And, and here's the struggle he's pinpointing. What is it that we're searching for that can cause a lot of the dissatisfaction and frustration. What is it that can cause that? And what it is, he says, is what we're searching for is meaning. What we're searching for, what we long for is meaning in life. We want things to matter. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that our lives matter. We want to know that going to work and getting up nine to five or eight to six or eight to seven or whatever you work, you want to know that there's some point to it all. You want to know that Uh, what you teach your kids, that there's some point to it all. You want to know that coming to church and and reading the Bible and reading books and trying to learn, you want to know there's some point to it all. You want to know that your relationships and the things, you want to know and feel that there's some point to everything that we're doing, that, that there's some meaning to it all, that we have an impact, that there's actually a purpose to everything. This is something that we need. We need to feel in life that there's some significance. That it isn't just clock in, clock out, drink the same coffee in the morning, and then watch the same TV shows, and then go to bed, and then repeat the next week, and repeat the next week, and repeat the next week, and then die. We want to know there's some point, some meaning. And this is what we're searching for. I talked to somebody recently that said that, man, I'm, I'm and they, somebody that's nearing retirement, and said, man, I've just been working my whole life. You go to school. So you can get a job and then you get your job and what are you you're working, 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 working. Why? So you can retire and so you got a handful of years and then you die? Like is that really is is that really all it is? They were feeling frustrated. Because what we're searching for is meaning. We wanna know there's a point to it all. We wanna know that all the effort and all the stuff that we do has some sort of point. This is something that we need. If any of you um, watch The Walking Dead, which I do, I love The Walking Dead. It's a great show. It's like Ecclesi- it's like the Bible's version of Ecclesiastes, or you know, the TV's <laughs> version of Ecclesiastes. But sometimes, here's what happens. You know, there's this zombie apocalypse, right? And they people do all this stuff, and they put up fences, and they scavenge for food, and they. But sometimes, oftentimes, what happens is a bunch of people die, and there's this kind of these scenes where they're just like. Man, what's the point? All this work we're doing, and and is it hopeless? Is there a meaning to all of the stuff that we're doing? What we're searching for that often causes that frustration and dissatisfaction and boredom and struggle, whether we know it or not, what we're searching for is meaning. This is something that we need. Studies will even tell you that this is from the Atlantic, but you can you know, research tons of this stuff, that meaning is actually healthier than happiness. A lot of times we, what we pursue in life is happiness, right? I want to be happy. I want to live a happy life. And not that that's bad, but meaning actually creates a greater sense or a greater actual physical reality of health than even happiness. Does. Maybe some of you, like me, read in college a, a book by a man named Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a, a Jewish doctor, and he was in the concentration camps. And he wrote a book that is called Man's Search for Meaning. And in the concentration camps, he studied, he studied kind of what, what is it that allowed people to make it through emotionally, not make it through physically, but emotionally, what allowed people to make it through. And he's, he's one of the kind of authors that's cited in all the different studies on meaning. And, and he said this, he says, there's nothing in the world, I venture to say, that would so effectively help one to survive even the worst conditions as the knowledge that there is a meaning in one's life. See, what we're searching for is Meaning. Underneath the frustration and dissatisfaction and boredom that we often feel is this sense that maybe there's not a meaning. Maybe it's pointless. We want meaning. If we have it, life is alive. If we have it, we can make it through all sorts of difficulties. If we have it, we have a joy in life, and we can withstand suffering and all sorts of things. What we want to know is that there's a point to it all. It matters. My life has value and significance and a purpose. That's what we're searching for. And, and so where do, we, where do we look? Where do we look for meaning? And in the rest of Ecclesiastes, I'll, I'll read the rest of this chapter. He, he's going to show us at least four different ways that we search for this. So I'll, I'll, read the, I'll read the chapter to see where we look for meaning, and then we'll come back to these four different ways that we look for it. And here's what he says next. What does man gain, and this is a poem, just so you know, Uh, we can't necessarily tell in our language, but uh, it's a poem. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already. In the ages before us, and there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, All is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. I think I might have skipped. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. Something messed up here, but that's all right. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And what... And he he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So here he helps us see several of the different ways that we search for meaning. As I just read that, my wife and I went to the Museum of Contemporary Art uh, yesterday. It was a penny. And that just made me feel like, man, that would go perfect there, you know? I was walking around there. I was like, I don't get any of this. But (laughs) this guy would love it. He'd be crying, you know? He'd be like, this is so beautiful, there's, you know, strings attached to a mannequin. This is amazing. <laughs> Sorry if you have your art there. Actually, the best part of it was um, the teenage section. I was actually like, this is, this is really cool. Um, so where do we look for meaning? Four different ways that he explores that are common to all of us. That if you feel a struggle, if you feel frustration, if you feel irritation, if you feel dissatisfaction in your life, and he says, you know what it is? It's that you're longing for meaning and it's not there. And so where is it that we search? Where do we look? Let me give you four ways that we often look for meaning and why it is he says they don't work out. The first, and I think probably most common, at least today in our age, is making a difference. Some people say, you know, I want my life to matter. I want to know there's a point to it. And, And so here's how I'll search for meaning. I will set out to make a difference in the world. I'll set out to make a difference, some sort of progress, some sort of change, something that I can contribute to. But what the author here says is nothing ever changes. Nothing ever really changes. It it might look like it changes, but nothing is really new and nothing really changes. It's an illusion. So if we set out to say, here's here's how I'll find meaning. I will make a difference. He says, you know what? I've explored all the different ways and making a difference, it doesn't actually give you meaning because nothing really ever changes. And he starts with saying, look at the look at nature. It looks like the sun is making a change. It looks like it's moving and it's making some sort of progress. But what happens the very next day? It goes back to it again. He says, look at he says, "Look at the rivers and the streams. It looks like they're all moving somewhere. There's all some sort of progress that's being made. They're, they're moving forward. But is it? Are the oceans getting fuller? Is is stuff? I mean, are the streams emptying?" He says, "No." He says, "Look at the look at the wind and the clouds. And it, you know, if you if you if you ever watch like the Weather Channel, you know that wind and it moves in circles, and it looks like oh, it's moving this way, but no, it just goes on a cycle and." comes back again. If you go outside and you shovel the snow and go, I made progress. And then you go, no, I didn't. It snows again. If you do the dishes and what happens the next day? They're there again. And that's what he's saying. It can be humorous, but he's saying, look, it looks like we're making progress. It looks like we're changing things, but we're not. Stuff actually stays the same. And if we seek out meaning in making some sort of difference, he says, if you just look at nature, you see there's no real progress that happens. But that's the first example he gives. The second one of making a difference in progress is he, he talks about newness. See, sometimes we think, okay, if I can contribute something new, if I can do something new, and he says, look, nothing is new. It's, it's a lot of actual um, kind of parable type things or proverbs that people just say, whether, whatever you believe. I mean, they come from Ecclesiastes. A lot of you have heard the phrase, nothing new under the sun. That comes from him. He says, there's nothing new under the sun. A lot of times people will say, look, this is new. And he goes, nope, been done before. This is new. Nope, been done before. So how about an example? There's this new diet that's come about recently, probably in the last decade or so. It's called the paleo diet, which the whole point of it is it's old, (laughs) right? The whole point is, hey, we've got this new diet that goes back all the way to the beginning. Or, how about this? You know, in ancient Egypt, what did they use for medicine? Essential oils are the earliest known medicine in history. In the last decade or so, what's been really new? Hey, this new stuff, don't use Tylenol, that'll kill you. Use lavender. And the Egyptians did the same thing. I'm not knocking any of these things. I'm just saying they're not new. Or, you you know what the... You know what the hottest gift this year was that sold out in all the stores? It sold out like bananas. It sold out instantly, and they had a reset. You know what it was? It was a Nintendo Classic <laughs> from the 80s. It, and the other thing was a Hatchable, which is like a knockoff Furby. Okay, so <laughs> stay true to Furby, you know. So this is uh, <laughs> it's the only time I've ever said that. But this, this was the newest hot thing. Or, you know what the new fashion thing is right now that's so new and so in? It's 90s stuff. <laughs> How many of you have a choker now? Maybe not any of you, but it's in. <laughs> and denim and baggy clothes and, I mean, it's, nine, this is an article from Fashion Magazine that says, to rock the 90s trend in 2017, blah, 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 okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what happens is we say, okay, His point is this, if you look for meaning in saying, here's how I will have meaning in my life, I'll make some sort of difference in the world, make some sort of progress in the world. And what he says is this, if you look at nature, you really see it's an illusion. It looks like there's progress. It looks like there's change, but it's not really. And he says, Look at all the new stuff we have. It's not new. And he said that thousands of years ago. Nothing is new under the sun. Of course there's the internet. Of course there's a TV. Of course there's... But it's not really new. It's not really changing something dramatically. It says there's no real progress that is made. Everything really, if we are honest, everything really stays the same. I think about this myself, even just in my life and my work of, man, I feel I can preach a sermon, I can talk to people, I can, and does anything really make a difference? Does anything really change? Is any progress really had? We can look at our lives and tell something is missing and I, maybe if I make a difference, but whatever we adjust, whatever we correct, whatever progress we think we make, he says, it's really just the same. We've gone to the moon. Is there peace on earth? Has anything really changed? We have all this new technology. Are people less busier than they were even a few decades ago? Does any, I mean, yeah, we've got kind of new stuff, but has anything really changed? And he says, if your search for meaning leads you to, I will make a difference, he gives us something that Maybe for some of you hearing it right now feels like, no, that's not true. I will make a difference. But others of you have felt this and gone, yeah, that's what it feels like. Everything I do, it seems like maybe it's making some progress, but it's just an illusion. It's like grabbing onto the wind. If you smoke or if you, if you don't smoke, but you do bubbles, um, those, are the, you know, those are your two <laughs> options um i need to take a bubble break right so (laughs) uh, you should try that that'd be awesome if you do either of those things it can look like something's there but if you grab it does it stay no and he says it's an illusion it doesn't really stay so if our search for meaning leads us to making a difference he says look if you've ever felt that making a difference doesn't do anything you can be honest about it you can be honest and say there's nothing new under the sun Nothing's really changed. A second way that a lot of times we look for meaning is this. Uh, maybe less common, it depends on who you are, but it's, it's in feeling, if I just have a little more, my life will have meaning. If I just have a little bit more, my life will have meaning. But there's always more to be had. He says, the eye is never satisfied with seeing and the ear is never filled with hearing. And he's using that to say, look, no matter what you see, you're always going to want to see more. No matter what you hear, you're always going to want to hear more. To say sometimes we think meaning is found in just a little more. The eye, though, is never satisfied with seeing. The ear is never satisfied with hearing. You, you know, if you just look at our world, it's interesting that every year a million books are published. The eye is never satisfied with seeing. Always more, always more. Uh, TV, this was a couple years ago, but it says that uh, the full list of 1,400 plus primetime series, that's just primetime series, not even including Netflix and stuff like that, that aired last year. The eye is never, there's always one more TV show, there's always one more book, there's a million songs, this is an estimate, uh, released every year in the U.S. There's about 500 movies that are released every year in the, in the U.S. that the eye is never satisfied with seeing and the ear is never satisfied with hearing. And here's what, here's what the author says. If you think that meaning is going to be found in just a little bit more, he says we're never actually satisfied. And so that's just an example of the eye and the ear but if you think about your life a lot of times it's more like this if i just get this much money maybe you make 30,000 if i make 40,000 life will be good maybe you remember when you thought that and maybe you make 40 and if i can make 50 life will be good just a little more usually we we're not making 30 and go if i could just make 100 i'll be okay but it's just a little bit more If I made 50, if I can just make 60, if I can just make 75, all I have to do is make 90, that's it. I'll be good. Just a little bit more. Or sometimes we do it with stages in our life. If we're single, we say, okay, once I'm married, then it'll be good. Then you get married and you might say, once I have kids, then it'll be good. And you have kids and you say, once the kids leave home, then it'll be good, right? (laughs) And the kids leave home and you say, once I have grandkids, then it'll be good country is the best at calling this out, you know, there's all these songs, I'm like, you're gonna miss this, I'm not gonna sing all, but there, that's, that's good, hey, I got applause, oh my goodness, okay, I'm gonna sing the whole song, can we cue the track, no, <laughs> I have sang a couple times and I've never been applauded, so my New Year's resolution was uh, to have a better voice, so I, done, check, uh, I've got meaning, um, something is new, okay, so, <laughs> But country's the best. It's always saying that there's these times that we feel like, if I just get to here, everything will be okay. If I just get to here, everything will be okay. Just a little bit more. Eh, Maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe you don't articulate that. You might feel that. Just a little bit more. Then life will have a point to it. Then it won't have so much dissatisfaction and frustration. And, And he says, no, we can be honest and say, we'll never really be satisfied. Third thing that can be common is, okay, maybe my life will have meaning if I can leave a legacy. I talked to somebody once that said, all that matters to me is leaving a legacy. That's all that matters. just want to leave a legacy. If I can be remembered, if I can just live a life in such a way that There's a legacy that I'll I'll live a life worth remembering. Then, then I'll have meaning. You know what he says? This is sad. But he says we're all going to be forgotten. He says that all of us will be forgotten. That nothing is remembered. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after says, we're all going to be forgotten. If you live to leave a legacy, here's the sad truth. You will be forgotten. I will be forgotten. Even the most significant people in the history of the world are forgotten. And we may be able to name some of them, but but are they really impacting our life right now? I even just looked up Time Magazine, had a list of the 100 most influential people in the world. How many of you know who Carl Linnaeus is? He was like number 20. I don't know who he is. 100 most influential people in the world. Or Charlemagne. A lot of you probably know who he is. He's got kind of a cool name, and that's probably all you know about him. You probably know he's some sort of emperor king dude, right? But, I mean, I know more about Iron Man than I know about Charlemagne. (laughs) I mean, unless you're a history major, I mean, you'd have to say the same thing or... This was just the, the ten, the, these are people, the ten greatest historical conquerors. This means these people, I mean, were world rulers. And so some of these names you know, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, but what about Tamerlane? I know more about Gandalf than I know about Tamerlane. And Gandalf is allegedly fake. on <laughs> Attila the, Attila the Charlemagne. Uh, look, Ashoka the Great. I mean, what do you know about Ashoka? I mean, at one point, he ruled the world. I mean, think about, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your intention is, I'll have meaning in my life if I can leave a legacy, Ashoka ruled the world. I mean, he is at the top of his game, I and mean, what do we know about Ashoka? Maybe, maybe it's not rulers and, and conquerors, but celebrities. Marilyn Monroe, who everybody knows, but how many of her movies have you seen? Probably not any, most people. Maybe you've seen one if you're in like a film class or you're really into, you know, older movies. But we all know who Marilyn Monroe is, but none of you would be like, oh, favorite movie, one of hers. <laughs> <laughs> okay? This, these were some of the top uh, ten actors a few decades ago, or like in the 50s, so more in hand. But William Holden, anybody know William Holden? Number seven top actor in the 50s. So think about all the people right now that are celebrities to us. It's only a few decades, you won't even know them. Or Randolph Scott, anybody's favorite actor, Randolph Scott? Probably not. I never, I, I'm an old movie buff, and I don't know who either of those guys are. Where do we look for meaning? One of the places we look can be, I'm going to leave a legacy going to leave a legacy. And, and you know what he says? All the generations that passed, you've forgotten them. And all the generations that will come, they will be forgotten too. Look, this is the sad truth. It really came home to me this summer when I uh, went to my wife's grandma's funeral. And I, I shared this uh, back in the summer in a different uh, sermon, but we were doing a graveside service at her grandma's funeral. And it was a great time remembering her grandma. But you know what was interesting? It was graveside service, and we had, a, the, this it was in California, so it was uh, tents and stuff to block the sun, and, and we had all our tents out and chairs, and our chairs were set up on top of other people's gravestones. See, one day you're going to be forgotten, and you're just, someone else's chair is going to be on top of you while they're remembering somebody else that at another point is going to be forgotten. I know that's sad. I'm, I'm not saying it's happy. I mean, the point of the book isn't joy and lollipops. It's to say, if you search for meaning and leaving a legacy, the sad truth that we just have to admit is we will be forgotten. All of us will be. I mean, how many, look, how many of you know, to her even more close to home, how many of you know your great, great grandpa's name? I don't know my great, great grandpa's name. Or if you want to just stretch it, great, great, great grandpa. Only a few generations in your family some of you are cheaters because you're like, well, I'm John the V, you know, so that's fine. <laughs> so you know their name. But uh, what about middle name? What about, your, what about your great-grandpa's birthday? I mean, even in our own family. Forgotten. Forgotten. So if we think that we'll find meaning in leaving a legacy, we won't. Even the greatest people that have lived on earth eventually are just a trivia card that you play when you're bowling. Even your great family picture, the frame is just going to end up in an aisle at Goodwill. Maybe even the picture I've seen. So we'll be forgotten. If you've ever strived for finding meaning and leaving a legacy, Solomon says, it'll hurt. It'll hurt. So maybe finally, what do we have left? I mean, where do we look for meaning? Maybe it's in making a difference, and maybe it's in uh, leaving a legacy or just having a little bit more, and maybe that's what will help the dissatisfaction and the boredom and the frustration, or or maybe it's this, and New Year's is a great time to think about this one. Maybe it's this, just all we can do, and maybe all that's left is this, I'm just going to work on myself. I'm going to improve me. Here's how I'll find meaning in life. I'll be the best me that I can be. I'll work on myself. I'll, I'll just, I'm going to focus on me. That's how I'll be able to find some sort of meaning. If I just self improve, if I just work on uh, my learning and, you know, all sorts of, if I can just better myself, at least then life will have some sort of meaning. And Solomon tackles this one as well. He says, and towards the end that we looked at, he said that. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. He says, I applied my heart to grow in wisdom. And it was just a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. He says, sometimes the more you improve yourself, the harder life actually is. Maybe you didn't know anything about money, and then you grew in understanding how to use money and how much you're supposed to save for retirement, and then you're like, oh man. Maybe you didn't know anything about relationships, and you thought that you were great at relationships, and then you got in one, and then you were like, oh man, I don't know nothing about this. This is, you know, if you're a college student, you can write this on your next paper that's due, that in much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. And just turn your paper in empty. <laughs> because it's, what he's, what he's saying is this. Look, you can try to better yourself. You can try to grow in wisdom and learning. And, but ultimately, a lot of times it just makes life harder. A lot of times you can, I mean, I, I read a ton of books. I can't say my life is easier. With every passing book, I, my life is getting easier and easier. A lot of times It's harder. Because you read a book and you go, man, I'm not doing that. And now i got a lot more stuff to work on. Read a, If you guys own a business or you manage people, you read a management book and then go, I've got to work on my management skills. You read a you book on how to uh, you know, communicate interpersonally and you go, I need to work on that. You read a marriage book and go, oh, I've got 10 chapters of stuff I've got to work on. It says, look, if your meaning is found in bettering yourself, if your meaning is found in I'm going to grow in wisdom and knowledge, and then my life will have some point to it. He says, look, I I applied my heart to that. I gave it everything. And you know what I found? It a lot of times just makes life harder. So Solomon explores these different ways that we search for meaning. And look, here's the thing. All of those can give us some sense of meaning in the moment. make a difference in someone's life. It's not that that you shouldn't do that. It's not that you shouldn't strive to be better. It's not that you shouldn't want to leave a life that is honoring to your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I mean, those things can give us some sort of meaning in the moment, but, but here is the reality. They can also be taken away from us. If your meaning is found in making a difference, what happens if whatever that avenue that you were making a difference in gets cut off? If your meaning is found in leaving a legacy, what happens if you've made a lot of bad decisions? Or can't have children? What happens if your meaning is found in improving yourself, but you find, man, I just feel stuck. Now see, we can find some glimpses of meaning in all of those things. It's not that they're totally fruitless, but but what he's saying is ultimate meaning can't be found there because it can be taken away from you. And the ultimate thing that takes it away from all of us is eventually death. So have a little bit more, have a little bit more, but then death. And make a difference, but then death. And leave a legacy, but then death and forgotten. This is why um, there's a comedian named Louis C.K. And uh, he was on Conan O'Brien a couple years ago. And he was kind of talking, maybe some of you saw this, he was talking about his hatred of cell phones. And I'm not going to play the clip because it's not safe for church. But um, he, he says this, though. So. I'm not going to play it. I'm just going to read it. But no, <laughs> he's, I'm going to read the edited version. He says, you, he's talking about why he doesn't like phones. Why doesn't he want his kid to have phones? He says, you need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something, you know, because we're just on our phones. That's what the phones are taking away is the ability to just sit there. That's being a person. Because underneath everything in your life, and he's an atheist, he says, because underneath everything in your life, there is that thing, that empty, forever empty, that knowledge that it's all for nothing and that you're alone. It's down there. And sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching anything, you're in your car, and you start going, oh no, here it comes, that I'm alone, it starts to visit on you, just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad just by being in it. That's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of the people driving are texting and they're killing. Everybody's murdering each other with their cars. But people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. See, I think he's on to something. He says there's this sense of emptiness and meaninglessness that's underneath everything, and so we distract ourselves and fill ourselves, and we can't stop and think because that empty, that sadness, that it's all for nothing is sitting there. This is what Ecclesiastes is saying. It says that life is a mist that you try to catch. It's smoke that you try to catch. It's bubbles that you try to catch. It's wind that you try to catch. It's striving after the wind. How many of you at home have a wind collection? Probably nobody. (laughs) If you do, I have some I'd like to sell to you also. That's what he says that life is like. It's an illusion. We feel like I've got it, but underneath is an emptiness and a meaninglessness. So for those of us that struggle, that feel life life can be frustrating and irritating and disappointing and unsatisfying, is there something more? Is there something more than this? Where can we find meaning? And see, Ecclesiastes isn't the end of the Bible. It's not the end of the story. So for those of you that maybe are going to go home and Go, I don't need to shower. Life is meaningless. If I shower today, I'm going to have to shower tomorrow. I don't need to shave. I don't need to shave my legs. I don't need to shave my face. It's going to come back tomorrow. Meaningless. That's how it can feel, right? So don't... There's more to the story here. There's more to the story. Where can we find meaning? And one of the key phrases in this book that we'll look at over and over again... One of the key verses is under the sun. It says that everything under the sun is not new. There's no meaning under the sun. And this idea that in this earth that we experience everything he said. And the truth is God designed everything under the sun to fail us. If we strive for meaning in the various things that we find under the sun, they will fail us. And we know what we need is something bigger than us. All the research, and I'm not talking about Christian stuff, just all the research out there on meaning, says if you want to have meaning, you have to connect to something bigger than you. And that's true. But a lot of times, even the bigger than you thing gets connected to the things we just talked about. Family, legacy, making a difference. But, but all of that is still, according to Solomon, under the sun. Maybe bigger than us, but it's not bigger than all of the the stuff that affects our world, it's not bigger than all of the things that create the cycles, the humdrum, the monotony, it's not bigger than all of that. So where can we find meaning? And what the Bible says is we need something that is above the sun to come enter into life under the sun. The Bible says that Jesus is God who became a man and he entered into life under the sun. There's something bigger than us, that the one that is above the sun came under the sun. And if we connect to him, then there's meaning. If we connect to someone that is outside of everything affected by under the sun, then we can have meaning. And you know what happens when, when Jesus shows up? It's very interesting to read Ecclesiastes and then read what happens when Jesus shows up. And the author of Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. It's all the same. It's all affected. It's all frustrating. It's all dissatisfying. It's all leaving me empty. Jesus shows up. The one from above the sun. He shows up. And when he shows up, you know what starts to happen? You know what starts to be said? Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He teaches us, a new way to love. Paul, talking about Jesus and those who know him, says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone's connected to him, if anyone's in a relationship with him, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, we can look at life under the sun and go, it's frustrating, and, and there's nothing new, and it's all the same. And when Jesus shows up, the one above the sun enters underneath the sun and begins to bring newness, change. It says this in Luke 20, Jesus, as He's about to go to His death, even describing what His death is going to bring about, describing what the cross is going to bring about, He says this, and likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, they're sharing a meal, and He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. We'll take communion in a minute, and what we do is we remember this, that Jesus' body on the cross was broken, His blood was shed, Why? To give us a new covenant, a new relationship with God Himself. And at the end of the Bible, Jesus says this when all things will be made right, He says, And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. See, we can struggle for meaning. And we can feel the pain of what's the point to it all. We can feel that in all the different pursuits. Live longer and longer and longer and you will feel Ecclesiastes is more and more true. But when Jesus comes, something new comes. When Jesus comes, something above the sun enters underneath the sun. So here's what that means for us. If you're somebody that's not a Christian, my my encouragement to you, if you're somebody that's searching and exploring, like the author of Ecclesiastes is searching and exploring all these different things through life, If, if that's someone like you, I would encourage you, to take seriously this book and explore, is there something more to life? But for those of us that are Christians, I would encourage us in this way, we can say as Christians, yes, 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 my life has meaning in Jesus. Yes, my life has meaning in Him. And yet, go about our lives still finding meaning in all those different ways that we just talked about. And my encouragement to us would be this. If you really want to have meaning, if you really want to have the deepest meaning that you can have. Not just a little bit of meaning, not just kind of some fleeting moments that can be found, truly, but to have a deeper sense of meaning you've ever had before. For those of us that are Christians, you know what that means? It means we have to take Jesus seriously and say, if he is the one that is the source of all meaning, that comes under the sun, from above the sun, that brings newness, I need to connect to him I mean, to have all my life connect to Him. Not just, not just say that, but to say, what does it mean to have then all my life connect to Him? My work and my, my family and my time and my money and, and everything about me. When we do this, we find something more that we're searching for, that we're longing for. So pray with me, and uh, we will sing a few songs. And take communion. And then after that, we will have a a big party outside with a food truck, bouncy house. Um, Hopefully the temperature is warmed up a little bit and hopefully you have coats because you live in Colorado. So let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you um, that you have sent Jesus to this world. That though we find struggle and tribulation under the sun, that though we grow dissatisfied with life under the sun, God, I don't know everybody in this room or where everybody's at or what everybody's feeling even as we read through this book and some of the kind of gritty honesty that it has. But I pray, God, that you would help our hearts to trust you even when life under the sun can feel very difficult. I pray that you would help those of us that don't know you to explore honestly or with a searching heart for those of us that do know you, Jesus, I pray that you would drive us towards you. That we wouldn't look for meaning in all these other places, but we would truly find a source of our meaning in you and, and be active of connecting our life in every way to you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.